Okay, welcome everyone to the Executive Athletes Podcast. And I want to thank everyone that has been listening. And this week's episode, we're a little technically challenged. Um, for the first time in 20 years, I actually left my laptop at home while I was traveling. So that might be a blessing in disguise or might not be a blessing in disguise. But anyways, so if this doesn't sound perfect or I don't sound perfect or any of us, none of us are ever perfect. So I guess we'll just start with that. Um, so just bear with us. But this week's guest is an absolute amazing guest, um, someone who's a bit unique, someone who's a pioneer, and someone who has actually been a game changer for women's running or women's ultra running in this world. So, and her name is Dixie Madsen. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about her bio, her background, and some of the amazing things that she's done. So we'll get, we'll get rolling right into it. So Dixie Madden was born in St. George, Utah, and she endured and, endured and overcame a traumatic childhood filled with heartache and tragedy. She left home at 13, and then living in two foster homes in many temporary situations, Dixie managed to turn her life around after moving to San Diego in 1970. A single parent working as a nurse, she developed a passion for running. Competing in her second marathon, she qualified for the famed Boston Marathon and began running in marathons and ultra marathons around the world. Supported by her adoring husband, Dixie became the oldest woman at 63 to complete the world's most grueling distance race, the Badwater 135 in Death Valley, California in less than 48 hours, which is truly an amazing feat. She also earned the Miss San Diego bodybuilding title at 51. And for Dixie, a proud mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother, life certainly began at 40. So welcome, Dixie, and love to hear, you know, the quick synopsis from you, who Dixie Madsen is and how you became this amazing pioneer. Well, I just... um got through my childhood and I've had a lot of tragedies and everything like that went out on my own, uh, uh, the ninth of 16 children and went out on my own, uh, at 13 in a couple of temporary foster homes and then went completely out on my own at 16 and, um, got married very young and, and had a family. And then my brother and his wife and three of their children, in 1962, uh, died in a fire, and I took their four boys that got out of the fire in with my three children and raised seven children and uh, played semi-pro softball at that time and was team mother and scorekeeper and everything else for my boys as they come up. Then in 1970, I moved to San Diego and um, for my husband's work, and uh we lived here for a few years, and then I divorced. And when my children got up and through high school, I divorced and and went on. And at age 42, I, I'm a registered nurse and an x-ray technician for 30 years. And uh, someone said, why don't you try running? You have a perfect body for running. And so I started running a little bit each morning before work and Pretty soon I was running 5Ks and 10Ks, and pretty soon I was running the marathon. And then I have finished 79 marathons. And um, 
then ultra distance came into my life. And someone says, come and run this 50 mile race. I said, never wanted to turn anything down. I just said, sure, why not? So I ran the Lake Murray 50 miler and broke the women's course record. And I still hold it today because they didn't have the race anymore. And anyway, uh, I after I got through running marathons, I, I decided to move into ultra distance, and, and I loved it. I just loved it. It was just, um, I could solve every problem in the world while I was out in the mountains and on the trails. And my first 100-miler was Angie's Crest 100, which uh, people thought that it was kind of ridiculous for me to pick that 100-miler. But I went on to run that seven times. I ran Western States five times. And I ran in 1995. I proceeded to do what was called the last great race. And that's doing the six 100 milers of the, the Roni six 100 milers in the, in the United States in 1994, 95. And you had to run six 100 milers in four months time. So I decided in 1995, I'd do that. And I made it through all of them except Leadville. I got cut at Leadville at 56 miles. Then the next year, I decided I was definitely going to do it. And I got through all of them except Leadville. And I got cut at 74 miles. But I did, those two years, I ran five 100-mile races in, in four months' time. And then I went on to uh, run a race in India. And then went on to break some American records. And I also broke the 100K and the 50K up in San Francisco, a women uh, 60 to 64. Uh, I think the 100K and the 50K were in my 50s, late 50s. And uh, just um, that that's kind of the lump sum of it. Uh, wow. In the 90s, about 30 of us decided to get together and, and form a club. We called it the Surf Club, San Diego Ultra Running Friends. And as of today, there is about a 412 members. That is remarkable. And, and an unbelievable amount of women just, I mean, I was kind of a pioneer back then in the the 80s and 90s. Uh, there weren't that many women running, but especially running the 100-miler. But there are about four clubs in San Diego right now, and they are packed. And it almost, you know, from what I know about the ultra-running world, I do a lot in the adventure, uh, advent, you know, I've done some adventure races, but... You know, what I know from the ultra running world now, the women are really, you know, they're pretty much beating most of the men as well, even at the elite level. Oh, they are. They are. And also, I mean, the max was uh, Death Valley, 135 miles. They're not stopping at that now. The women aren't. They're going 200 miles and 245 miles and and five-day races and, and it, 
it's mind-boggling. Now, how does it feel to be a pioneer? You know, Howard, it must have been crazy at the beginning of being, you know, probably, what, one of two, one of three women, and now look what it's grown, you know, grown as. How does it feel to have created such a movement? Oh, I feel really good about that, and that's one of the reasons I wrote my book and my story is because I feel like my story will give – all of the ladies and men or, or anyone who reads it out, their inspiration to go ahead and make something out of their life. And, you know, we fall down, we get, we have bumps in the road and, and the only thing you can do is just brush yourself off, get up and, and head back out again. So tell us about your book, you know, tell us about, you know, the stories, what did you focus on? You know, I know there's probably, or that it was from, you know, from the beginning to, you know, running Badwater there at the end. But, you know, what inspired you to write your book? Uh, I had been writing my book for all my life. So I already had 195 pages written of my life story. And I felt like that there was enough of things that happened in my life that um, are happening in other people's lives and they're getting depressed and they're getting they're giving up and and I hope that I could be able to be an influence to them to read my book and realize that you know we were put on this earth and to kind of prove ourselves and if you don't work on your own destination and destiny someone else will do it for you so you choose to do it yourself so I wrote my book and put everything in it. My childhood, as tragic as it was, as uh, being alone as much as I was and everything like that and, and kind of grinding my way up from 16 years on, you know, and still accomplished being an RN and an x-ray technician. And, and you just you fall down and you get back up. And I believe that anyone who reads my book will be have an inspirational experience in doing it. Earlier on, a few minutes ago, you had mentioned that you've solved all your problems when you're out running in the mountains and, and racing. And, you know, I feel a lot of the same way. You, know, you never come back from a long run or anything angry. But, you know, talk to the listeners about that. I think that's probably... I always say either ultra runners are either running from something or running to something. <laughs> and I've been part of that. But I think you nailed the other thing is you can solve more problems out on a run or inspire to start new businesses or anything like that through physical activity. So let, you know, let me know your thoughts on, you know, like you had mentioned earlier, you can solve all the problems in the world out running. Well, I think the question that most people ask me when they found out that I was an ultra runner, as they would say, Dixie, what do you think while you're out there all the time? And I said, two feet in front of me. And they'd laugh. And I'd say, yeah, really, two feet in front of me because you've got to make sure where those next two feet are going because you're moving fast enough that you don't have time to trip over something. But also, when I would get out there on a long run, a 50-miler, a 100-miler, and be in the mountains, and I just felt like I was really close to God. I am uh, quite religious. Uh, I'm a 
belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it's been a real, um, it's always been out there in front of me. And and when you are running out and training on a long run, your mind can just turn through all the things that are bothering you, all the things that are upsetting you, uh, what you're thinking. And, and you can come off that run feeling so good and solve a lot of your problems. And you just have time with yourself. You don't have any chaos with all the other voices around, all the other people coming in and out of your life. You're you're just out there by yourself. And you can solve a lot of problems when you have quiet, tranquil time. Would you ever run with music or anything like that? Um, I didn't do we didn't run with music until yeah. later on, you know, and then it kind of became popular. But um, sometimes I would run when I would do, I'd get up at 4.15 in the morning and do my runs so that I could get my run in, my shorter runs in before I went to work. And then um, I would be go to the gym in the evening and do a two-hour workout in the gym because in the 50s, I was a competitive bodybuilder. And uh, I would run, if I ran with music in the later years when the equipment came out so that we could, it's not like today, of course. We've got our iPhones and, you know, we can do anything with them. Uh, But I would always run with only one one piece in my ear and it would always be the opposite of the traffic and I I would always run against the traffic not ever with the traffic because I didn't trust any driver that there was between four and six o'clock in the morning but when I would my my husband would take me once a week he would take me to Carlsbad um, at five o'clock in the morning which was which is 20 miles from my home and drop me off and it would be dark and I would run the 20 miles back to Tierra Santa. And uh, I would use music sometimes, but only in one ear so that I was alert to everything else that was going on. No. And I think, you know, like you had said earlier, I, you know, sometimes I do, uh, I, I don't know a lot of listeners do or don't, but I just like, I like the thought process too, right? Of just, of being quiet, of being out there and being in the wilderness. Did you rather like, did you like running on the roads more? Or did you like running in the, you know, on the trails or in the mountains more? Oh, I loved running in the trails and on, in the mountains much more. You know, it's, uh, the, it's, it got to the point in road racing that I, I moved up really rapidly from, winning 5Ks, 10Ks, and on up and to, in my age division, winning marathons. And and it got to the point where it was just really pressure. When I got on the starting line of these races, it was really pressure. And when I took up ultra running, it was just a pleasure being out there in the quiet, listening to the birds and, and listening to the sounds that were out there. And I'm just living in the elements. No, that's phenomenal. I think that's yeah. That having that peace and quiet is just is just amazing. Um, to really, you know, to to have that out there and to really 
have that become part of you, right? I think that's also uh, another piece of it is having really having that be part of who you really are is out there oh, yeah. and looking for that, you know, and looking for that peace, for that quiet, that ability to get away. I think, you know, like I said earlier, I think you can solve lots of problems when you're out there, even if it's in the middle of the day for an hour. How long oh, were yeah. your, you know, back when you were training full-time, you know, in the ultras, how long, you know, tell us a little bit about your training. People must have thought you were crazy back then. Oh, they did. I was on KUSI several times, and they just thought that I was the craziest person on earth because I would go out and run a 20-mile run on Saturday and turn around and run another 20-mile run on Sunday if I was getting ready to to do a 100-miler. You know, my mileage was around... 70, 80 miles a week plus working full time. But that's just mild my mileage compared to what they're doing now. Right. I mean, there's just no stopping it, you know. Uh, now, how did bodybuilding come into play? Was that before or after your, your running, your running well, experience? Was, I started running when I was 43, and uh, I had been married again and was only married for a a year and a half and my husband died of a heart attack and so in the midst of after that why I happened to meet um, a man whose name was Kendall Webb and he was the CIF commissioner over all the high schools in San Diego and um, we just we met at a San Diego track club potluck on a Sunday afternoon and we had so much in common. We were working out at the gym at five o'clock in the morning. We were running, but he was a sprinter. He was a sprinter for UCLA when he was at college. And we become very close friends and and end up getting married. And he worked out at the gym for two hours every day of his life. And he said, why don't you switch and and not run so much and and bodybuild and work with me. And he says, I think you could do really well in bodybuilding. So I said, okay. So in my 50s, I switched over and did a little more uh, lifting and everything rather than bodybuilding. And uh, I uh, was still running and uh, doing my running and doing bodybuilding and decided to start competing. And so I started competing and won the California State Masters title at 51 over 20-year-olds. I was 51 and the other contestants wow. were 20. And then I went on uh, to win the California Masters title. And then I, I bodybuilt for about five years and I, I was pretty ripped. I, I got pretty serious about the whole thing. And uh, I, the last contest that I was in, when I was pumping up in the, before I going on, I could see, hear the deep voices and see the skin and everything of these women that were just unbelievably muscular. And I knew being in the medical profession that they were on steroids. And I thought, man, as hard as I work out to get where I am, I'm not doing this anymore because I'm not doing steroids. I'll go back to ultra running. 
so that's how I slipped right from bodybuilding into ultra running. Yeah, you can't beat science, right? You know, science is going to win every time. Oh on yeah, that one. oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. no matter how hard you work, you can't beat you know PEDs at all. No, no, no. Now, what was it like running Badwater at sixty-three? Uh, it was a great grade. It was the <laughs> year before. <laughs> the year before, I had paced a gentleman. Uh, almost half of the race. And uh, Dr. Ben Jones said to me, coming into one of the aid stations, he says, Dixie, you better be careful. You're going to be out here running this. And I says, that's exactly what I'm thinking, Ben. And the next year, I decided I was going to run it. And I had enough qualifiers and everything so that I didn't have any problem getting in. But I loved it. It was great. It was was a really experience for me. I had run all these other 100 milers, and, and I had never hallucinated. And people, you know, would say I hallucinated and saw this and this and this. And I was okay until uh, I didn't rest at all until uh, the second day, and I laid down for 20 minutes and uh, then got back up and started going. But when I hit Lone Pine and started up the road to um, Whitney Portal, I started to see the road was covered with characters, gray elephants, brown rabbits, all kinds of animals interwoven with pink and white candy cane. And that was the design that stayed on that road all the way up to Whitney Portal. And it, so I guess I figured out at that point, I'm okay at 40 hours, but it's the seven and eight hours after 40 that I'm going to start hallucinating. But it was, um, I loved running bad water. I, if it hadn't been for my injuries, I would have been back there again. No, and the hallucination things are crazy. You talk to people about it, and if you've never experienced it, it's it's unreal. We were just doing... Like I was saying, uh, this past summer, we did an adventure race in New England, and we were up for two or three days before we slept, and it was just pouring and pouring. And I remember on one of the canoe legs, we're coming down, and you would look at trees, and you would see, like, designs in trees that, like you said, were (laughs) caricatures. And it looks like a person fishing, and it's a tree stump, or this, or that, and it's just it is unbelievable of the, what your mind plays on you. But oh, also too, I think it's sort of a coping mechanism to just you know, sort of let you, let you go too at that point. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I thought, wow, I don't need any drugs. I just need to run over 40 <laughs> miles. That's exactly it. That's exa- I've always, I've always mentioned, you know, this can be called executive athletes or executive addicts because it's the same thing, right? You're looking for that fix of, you know, of sport, of adrenaline, of endorphins. And I think once you get to the hallucination stage, it's a, uh, it's a different fix of some sort. I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's definitely a special, it's definitely a special thing. I absolutely believe that ultra running is an addiction. It is. It's, it is. A lot of people just switch one addiction for another addiction, you know. That's 
but it's true. It's true. But if you're if you're used to getting that mileage in, why you you want to get out there and get that mileage in? Now you know you you overcame. Let's sort of just step back a little bit. You overcame a lot of you know you said tragedy in your life, and then going through these races and just keeping going and dealing with injury and you know what do you think just kept you going? Where did that grit come from? Where did you know the fact that you knew just if you grounded out that things would be okay? Oh, I just I had that feeling from the time that I can for as long as I can remember. If I started anything, I was going to finish it. It didn't matter what I started. I was going to finish it. And I just, uh, I had my religion that kept me uh, with goals I had on myself that I wanted to, to reach and and was able to successfully reach those uh, through my lifetime. And um, I don't know, oh, I just wasn't a quitter. I just, I if I started anything, I was going to finish it. The only thing that I wasn't able to finish was was my marriage of 22 years to my children's father. And I ended up divorcing after 23 years. Um, my husband that I married in 1984, um, Kendall Webb, died six years ago as he was crossing the finish line of a duathlon in Imperial Beach, and he just turned eighty. So wow. it's um, he was crossing the finish line with them announcing, "Here comes Kendall Webb, our commissioner, and and winning his age division." And five steps later, he was gone. Wow. Well, I guess you can say he was and, doing what he loved, right? Oh. Could we all be that lucky? Exactly. Yeah. The key is not to die slow. The key is to die fast. Exactly. Exactly. Right. I think that's – un- and, and right now you're 82 and you just wrote your book. Tell us a little bit about that. That's, you know, that's even amazing too. Like, you know, I know you said earlier that you've had the book inside you, but what inspired you to write the book, you know, in, in, you know, in your 80s? Well, I just thought, you know, people don't put out there all the things, you know, that they can see the person and see what they've accomplished, but they don't put out there the nitty gritty that got you there. And I just, I just felt like it was time I'd write my book. And I talked to my son who is staying with me and he is a baseball varsity coach for Sarah High School and I said oh I don't know I should save that money for you guys and said mom write your book we will be just fine you write your book so we went on that journey and decided to do it and I've been really happy it it was a great year last year preparing it and, and writing it and and all of the the, then the book signings and everything like that. It, it's it's been great. I'm really happy that I did it. My children are very happy that I did it. And uh, you you know your parents go, and then you you've heard little glimpses of their life, but you really don't know what their life was like. And then you wonder after they're gone, 
and my children aren't going to have to wonder. It's all right here in my book. Wow. And what's the title of it? The title of my book is Life is an Ultra Marathon, Embrace the Journey, the Dixie Madsen Story. That is great. That's, and I think that's what a lot of people become so focused on the end result that they forget about the journey. But the journey, I'm a firm believer, is where it's at. That's where you learn. That's where you live. It's not, you know, it's that dash between when you're born and when you're dead. That's what tells the story, not the dates at the beginning or the end. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it is a journey. It's like, just like ultra running, all the planning and picking yourself up and going on. And, and it's just embrace the journey and do the very best you can. Perfect. No, and I think we're coming up on a half hour here. And it's been, you know, Dixie, you've been amazing. What, you know, if you're to give any advice to any ultra runners, out there or people looking to really just, you know, step up in different aspects of their life or need to overcome adversity, what advice would you give them? Well, I have a very firm belief in every step that you take in life, there are two roads ahead of you. And you choose a road. And you get down that road and you realize that that's, wasn't the right road you have to figure out how to turn around go back and go down the right road and pick up the pieces you also have to take your own advice and things that are going on in your life don't take somebody else's advice so that you have to uh, say oh well I wouldn't have done that except so-and-so told me to do that make your own choices take your own guilt and just Turn back and go down the right road. That's amazing. But it's so simple. But we make things so complicated. (laughs) It is. It is, and we do. We do make them so complicated. Right. uh, No, perfect. And Dixie, where can the listeners find you? Where can they find your book, find your website? Tell us a little bit about that. uh, I haven't put up a website yet. I've been, I'm not a really computer genius, so I'm having to have my grandson help me put up a website. Um, And I haven't, so I haven't a website, but my book is available at Mascot Books, and it's also available um, at Amazon. And on January the 1st, it came out in an e-book also. Awesome. No, I, I think everyone, you know, I've read glimpses of it and it's amazing. And I think everyone should, you know, should definitely check this out because your advice and what you've done and being a pioneer is just amazing. And to just keep on trucking is, you know, is probably the best way to go. And it sounds like, you know, that's what you've done. That's what you can do. <laughs> you just, you know, you're not going to get out of this life until it's time to go. Right. You don't get out of this life. No one gets out of this life alive. Put it that way. No. No. <laughs> Death and taxes we got to handle. Exactly. 
Well, Dixie, thank you for being an awesome guest on this. This has been one of my favorites. And to all the listeners out there, if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to email me at ken at executiveathletes.com. But Dixie, thank you very much once again. Okay, thank you, Ken. It's been a pleasure. This call has been recorded.